Lord, we just come before you and thank you for each person that's here. We ask you to be with us and lead and guide us as we look at this last chapter in the book of Daniel. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us in your son's name. Amen. amen. Daniel chapter 12. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation even to the same time, and at that time your people will be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake from everlasting, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But you, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. So we're going to stop there for just a moment. This chapter even though there's a big chapter break in, is a continuation of the last chapter and all the way back to chapter 10. All right, so these last three chapters are all one big long uh, incident or event. And so we've been talking about the prophecy, and we remember all the way back in, in chapter 10, Daniel's been praying uh, for a period of time and fasting, and all of a sudden, the angel Michael appears before him and, and starts telling him all about the history of the, of the four countries that are coming. And then he talks about uh, Antiochus, uh, Epiphanes that we were talking about for the last couple weeks. And now he's going into a little bit about the end days of time. And so he says, Michael stood up, that great prince that stands for the children of your people. So... It seems that he's saying that Michael is particularly in charge of the Jews through this. And it would be, be the interesting that they know the name of their, their chief angel. And remember we talked about how when Michael, uh, when they first came in, that there was this discussion that uh, many chapters ago that Michael had to come and help the Gabriel get to deliver a message to him because the prince of Syria opposed him. So the, the demons seem to have angel, uh, demonic angel, angelic forces that are over countries and areas, and the angels have peop, a, angels that are over, or God has angels over uh, areas and, and nations. And here Michael appears to be the chief angel for the Jewish people. And uh, it says, there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time, and at that time your people shall be delivered. This is the final days. It's called the great and terrible day in other places, the day of the Lord. Uh, we know it from the book of Revelation as the tri tribulation period, uh, the trouble of Jacob it's called. <laughs> It's got many names, but it's the day that the Jews will suffer greatly at the hand, hand of Satan directly. And you, we think about this. What started all of this, all of this time of prophecies was Daniel was reading and the people of Israel are getting ready to go back to Jerusalem and Israel. And now he's being told about how horrible that time is going to be and that there's coming a day where there's 
great trouble. So if you put yourself in Daniel's place, he's got great exaltation. The people are returning home. And then God shows him all the trials, you know, well, maybe not all the trials, but all, many trials and tribulations that are coming their way. And, you know, so there's this moment of happiness in his life, and then there's this moment of very deep sadness. Okay, God, you're sending us home, but it's going to be bad again. And he doesn't seem to see the time after that where there's going to be the millennial kingdom and the ruling of Christ over the and centered into Jerusalem. He's just seeing they're going back and then there's going to be another judgment. And you can got to think, he's just spent 70 years in ba uh, Babylon and Medo-Persia as a captive. And he's, he's reading, remember at the very beginning of the book, he's reading Jeremiah and says, oh, it's time for them to go back home. It's time for us to go back home. The 70 years are over. So he's, he's gotten very happy, very excited, and then he gets this news. How many times does this happen to us when, when God comes along and good things start happening to us and we start getting excited, everything's looking good, and then the next thing we know, God lets some hardship come our way again. And we end up, we end up suffering and if we're not careful, we get discouraged. But we need to keep in mind, while we're on this earth, it's not our home and there's going to be a lot of bad things that, ha or apparently bad things that happen because Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. And how many times do we look at the bad things in our, you know, that are happening to us and go, oh, this is just terrible, woe is me, you know, you know, and all these things. But then we look back on them and realize it's what strengthened us and what helped us follow God closer. And we need to get to the place where we start when we get into these things that look bad to us, saying, okay, God, I'm waiting to see what, what you've got for me. What is going to be the good that comes from this? Because you know what? There's going to be good for everything that happens. If nothing else, it strengthens us for the next temptation and trials that come our way. But God is... But also, we have a lot of good things that happen to us. We have a lot of things that, a lot of things that God just blesses us with because we are his children. But he also knows that we need those hard times. We need those times. And the thing we want to remember, most of those tests that we're going through are directly related to what we've learned about God. When we learn something by God, he wants to say, do you believe it? Something as simple as all things work together for good that are called according to the purpose of God means that if, you're, if God is teaching you that verse and teaching you that principle, I can guarantee you some bad, apparently bad things are going to come into your life. Because God's going to say, do you believe the verse that I've been teaching you? The idea is that the more we turn to him, the more we accept whatever he sends our way and say, God, you've got a reason. I may not understand it. It may seem terrible to me, but you've got some reason. And sometimes the bad things that happen to us are because we deserve it and we've been sinning and, do, and, and, and doing things that deserve the punishment. And this is something we have to decide is... Every decision we make is going to have consequences, and we need to make sure that we bring God into every decision. Too many of us will separate, this is something that's of God, and this is something of just my life, you know, this is my work life or my family life, and this is God over here. And you know, God says there's no such thing as him not being involved in our life, so whatever we're doing, we need to bring him into the mix of what we're considering. 
And this is very important is, you know, if we're looking for a job or something, it's like, God, is this the right job? Is this the one that you have put in my path? Or am I just something that is here to test me to see if I'm going to be listening to you? And this is something that's critical. You know, what do we do? How do we spend our money? How do we, how do we entertain ourselves? All of these things have spiritual dynamic to them because anything we do means we're not doing something else. Okay, and this is important, <laughs> but this is to be aware of that God is in every part of our life, because if we choose to, you know, something as simple as, do I choose to watch a movie for, an, for two hours? What, what else could I or should I have been doing during that? And that's not saying that every movie is going to be wrong or anything, but when we choose to do that for two hours, that's two hours that we can't do something else. And we need to be aware now like I said it's not saying that the movie would be wrong or or anything it we need to bring God into that situation and say God what is it that you desire me to be doing and this is one of the reasons that God worked on me to basically give up watching on football because it was one of those things of you can watch football for three hours or you can spend some time with me and my people for three hours and I could tell you the first couple times he said that to me, I said, I want to watch football because I really liked football. After a while, though, I'm going, you know what? I'm really wasting my time watching these long games when I could be with God's people or doing something else. Does that mean that football was bad? No, it was just that God was saying there's other things that can be more important in, yeah. in your life. And so we need to look at this and say, what is it that God wants me to do when I'm doing it. We need to be careful because so many times we just do things without thinking about the God side of what we're doing. And we just spend time doing something and not necessarily that it's a sin or, or wrong, but if we forget to look at what God wants us to do in it, then yes, it's sin because it's not doing what God wants. There may be a time just to vegetate in front of a, you know, and relax in front of a movie or with a, with a book that's not religious or anything. There are times for that to be the case. Again, it's, we go to, we put God into the mix. God, what is it that I should be doing at this point in time? And I'm not saying you have to be working the whole time and being, the key to this is, if all you're doing is watching TV and movies and relaxing, you probably have a problem. If you're doing everything and never thinking about what does God want me to do during this period of time, you've got a problem. Many people, especially in their work life, will say, I've got to take this job because this is the first job that pops open, and that's not the job that God wants you to do, and then take that job and another job, better job that God wanted you to show up is, but we need to be careful. We need to bring into prayer in every decision of our life, God is to be in the center of it. And too many times we walk around and say, God, you're out there until I need you. Then when we get into trouble because of our bad decisions, we go, oh, God, it's all your fault. What, you know, why aren't you here? Well, you didn't invite him into the middle of all these problems, <laughs> into all these issues and decisions. He goes, there's going to be this time that is going to... Uh, hit Israel like it's never hit it before and that's the tribulation period when they're going to fall under the rule of Satan and everything is going to go wrong they're going to start out thinking it was perfect they're going to have their temple rebuilt they're going to reinstitute the the offering system and they're going to appear to be at peace with everybody because the Antichrist is ruling over them for that time and then they're going to realize we have followed the wrong person everything's going to get really bad for them. Daniel sees this. 
And it says, And they shall be delivered everyone whose name is written in the book. And this is the book of life. And we've talked about the book of life before. The book of life is, in the Jewish mentality, it is a book that when they went to war, everybody's name was written down in this one book. All right. Everybody who went to war in the army would write their would have their name would be written in, and as they died, their name was scratched off. God has a book of life, and when people are die in their sins, their name is scratched off. They won't, they don't, they won't be accepted into heaven. But He says, all the Jewish people of that day whose names are in the book of life will be delivered. All right. Those are the ones that are going to follow Jesus. And we've talked in Revelation about how there's 144,000 Jewish evangelists. We've got the two witnesses at the temple that are preaching. There'll be an angel flying through the air during the tribulation period, at some point in the tribulation period, giving the gospel out. Nobody will be without excuse. They can't say, I didn't hear, even in that day when the church has been pulled out. And when their name is in the book, they'll be delivered. And this shows that God's got a plan. He has a plan for each one of us. And when we're in his plan, he will deliver us in the, at the end. And this is an important thing for us to understand as Christians. He promises us that no temptation is over, will come upon us that is not common to begin with. And we talk a lot about that. Everything that happens has happened to somebody and many somebodies before. Okay, Satan's, yeah, it's not new, it's not unusual, it's not, you're not the only one who's ever been tempted by this. Satan's lie is, you know, you're the only one that's ever had this temptation, and we all know that we've had something hit us where we felt we were the only one that's ever had that problem before, and Satan likes us in that place because it makes us ashamed, it makes it so that we won't seek help, because if we're the only one, then people are going to make fun of us, they're going to they're not going to listen to us. They're going to think that we're really bad because we're, we're, we're tempted by something so bad that nobody else has been ever tempted this way. And, you know, it's kind of surprising when you share something sometimes with somebody and you really felt like you were really suffering. They go, oh, you know, I've, I've had that problem too and, or I've had some, a similar problem. And, and they get accepted when you open up. And, and you feel a lot better. And you feel better when, you know. Now, it, I, I guess misery does like company in one yeah. sense. You know, it feels good not to know you're the only person that's ever felt that way or been tempted that way. Or God keeps this down, and He tells us nothing's unusual, nothing's nothing is is new, and He also promises us that He'll help us through it. This is important. He has a plan for us, even when we fail miserably, and some people have really fallen terribly and miserably, God still can use us. This is the greatest example that he gives us in the Bible. He uses David, an adulterer and a murderer, and uses him to establish a kingdom and puts him in the line of Jesus Christ. He takes a harlot named Rahab and puts her in the line of Jesus Christ. He, he takes all these people that are terrible sinners and uses them. He takes a man like Saul of Tarsus, trying to destroy the church, and uses him to build the church when he changes his name to Paul. 
we look at these people and our first instinct is look how God used them. But you know, we look back and deeper in their life and say, wow, look how bad they were because, you know, at, at various times in their life. You look at somebody like Samson. Have you ever looked at Samson life, Samson's life? He had a real problem with women and prostitutes. <laughs> Disobeyed God at every turn of the corner and yet God used him as a judge over the, over the people to deliver them from their captives. He was not a very good person. He did not follow God very well at all, and yet God uses him. And this is something we want to keep in mind that all the time, God will use us in spite of ourselves sometimes, <laughs> and sometimes because of the choices we make, but usually in spite of ourselves, he will give us the grace and mercy to be used. And it is amazing to watch God use use you when you don't when you know you don't deserve it and to look at somebody and say wow god can use somebody like that a lot of the pastors i listen to on the radio have a really interesting past you know many of them were drug addicted and Amen. ran around with all these different people you know and then god got hold of their lives and changed them and it's kind of amazing when you hear their testimony and it just proves that god can use anybody no matter how bad they get God can use them if they'll just turn to him because the only way you can be used by God anyway is to turn your life over to him because you're not going to be able to do it any other way even people who appear to be good the only way they can be used by God is to turn their life over to him and let him turn turn them and this is important for us to always understand it's all God it really is all God. When we look at these people and we go, man, this person is just such a wonderful saint. Look how they're following God. Well, maybe if you look a little closer at their life, a little, little bit into their past, you might find something that is not so wonderful for you to exalt them up on this pedestal. They don't deserve the pedestal, but God is using them anyway. And God is blessing them because he's allowing them to be to be used by him. He's still doing miracles. He's still doing everything. What he's done in the past, he's still doing. Verse 2, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. This is the resurrection that he's talking about. There will be a resurrection of all people. There was a resurrection in Jesus' time when the, the gospel mentions that the, the, the people walked, walked in Jerusalem before they were taken to heaven. It was kind of an interesting verse to see that God is, there was that resurrection. There's going to be the resurrection when Jesus comes back for the church on the rapture and, and the dead in Christ shall rise first and then the rest of the Christians will come. Now I think there's only going to be like a split second between the two, but the dead, Paul said the dead are going to rise first and then the rest of us will follow. And then at the end of all time, there'll be a resurrection of everybody when the white throne judgment will happen. And remember, the Christians have already been judged. We've, we, we've stood before the Bema Seat of Christ. We'll, be, we'll receive our rewards for the, what we've let God do for us. And then the white throne judgment, everybody that stands before God at the white throne judgment is headed to hell because they have rejected Christ. When they stand, they're going to be shown their life and they're going to be shown this is when you've, when you've denied me and they're headed for hell because they cannot stand before God. But that is the resurrection that this is referring to. 
those two resurrections, actually, the resurrection of the church and the resurrection of the white throne judgment. And it says, some to everlasting life and some to shame and contempt. Contempt's such a strong word. You know, that's an aversion or a abhorrence. <laughs> You know, contempt is, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you have contempt for somebody, you don't want to be around them, you don't want to see them, huh? Loathing. Loathing. A loathing. You, know, you see that person, it's like, oh, you know, can, I go some, can I go to another direction? <laughs> you know, can I get out of the way before, before I have to talk to them? You know? uh, and if you do talk to them, there's usually that edge on the voice that, on, and the tenseness of the body that, you know, here I am having to talk to this person. The idea for us as Christians, though, is to we shouldn't be holding contempt and loathing for people. We should be loving, loving people. Now, I realize that that's easier said than done, but I can also tell you that God's going to give you plenty of opportunities to learn it. Uh, if you have somebody that you don't like, God's going to keep putting that person in your life until you finally decide, I'm going to show them God's love and let God love them through me. And then after you learn that lesson, you may... You may not have to deal with them, or you may actually love them enough that it doesn't matter one way or the other. Learn to love them the way he loves them. I'm not saying it's an easy thing to love people. I mean, it's, believe me, I understand the, the idea of how hard it can be. But, you know, it's God loving them through you anyway. So as long as you release them to God and let God love them, doesn't mean they're going to be, ever become your best friend necessarily. They're probably, unfortunately, sometimes they can even be family. It's, uh, but the idea on this is that we love them. We pray for them. They're not going to be the, necessarily the person you're going to hang out with all the time, but you do need to be able to show God's love to them when you're around them. Yeah, you have to be civil. You have to be kind. Show God's love because the amazing thing is sometimes those people, if you can show them God's love, you might even be the one that gets to give them the gospel, be able to bring them into Christ and the family of God. Because they're going to see, they're going to know that they've had problems with you. They're going to know that they're causing problems sometimes. But they're also going to look at the way that you care for them and you show them love. And this is the important step. Jesus said they will know, that they will know you're my disciples by your love one for another. He also told us that we're to love the, our enemies as ourselves. We're to turn the other cheek. And if we start showing love to people, and again, it doesn't mean they're going to be our best friends and that you're going to say, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going out to dinner. Come on out with me. No, you're never going to get to that point probably with them. But we're to, you know, I like your word civil, but it's a little more than civil. You know, it's being showing them respect, showing them some honor, even if they don't deserve it because that is what Jesus did. You look at the people Jesus interacted with. The woman at the well in Samaria, he did not say that what she did was, was good or even excuse it, but he did also was very civil with her and kind to her. The only ones he was ever very harsh on were the scribes and Pharisees, and that was because of their hypocrisy. They said they were good and they, and they weren't, and he called them on it frequently. And you can still love somebody even when they're being corrected. All right, and it's not easy and it takes some practice, but sometimes we need to be corrected. And if we're going to be corrected, we want somebody to do it in love. I've told people, if you're not praying for somebody, you don't love them enough to be correcting them in the first place. But if you're going to be corrected, you want somebody to do it 
kindly. You don't want them coming up, slapping you upside the head and saying, you know, you're, you're a terrible, awful person. You want somebody you know, that honestly cares for you and says, almost with tears, you know, I'm just so concerned because you're doing this with your life and I'm, I'm very concerned on the direction you're headed. And they can, if you're doing it in love, they know it. And you all know what it's like to be talked to by somebody who loves you <laughs> and by somebody who doesn't love. When they, and, and it can be family that does it either way. Family who's supposed to love you can deliver some very harsh uh, rebukes that aren't done in love. We see here in verse 3, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. This is a wonderful thing. Those that are wise shall shine with brightness. Those who understand, those who have understanding, those who are able to give insight. Aren't those the ones you like to go to? If you need advice, you don't want somebody who's just willing to give you advice. You want somebody who really is going to give you godly advice that has some insight. Because you can get advice from anybody. Every, everybody in the world wants to give advice. You know, whether it's worth getting or not, it's a whole other story in some cases. But I've had lots of advice from people that didn't know anything about what they were talking about. And they just had to speak. Let me tell you all about what I know. Well, you don't know anything. Well, let me tell you about it anyway. Uh, you know, there are people out there that just want to hear themselves speak. They're not, they're not going to give you godly advice. You know, and this is the other thing for us as Christians. We want godly advice. We don't want the world's advice. And we've talked several times over the, over the years here. We want a biblical worldview, so we cannot be going to the world and saying, tell us about what you think. Uh, and this is important. The Bible has answers for all the things that we want to go through. Sometimes they're harder to find than others, but it covers everything. Why does it cover everything? Because Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. Okay, We have more technology now today than we used to, but the problems behind it are still the same. The problems in our life are still the same. Uh, we still get too busy, just as they could in the past. I mean, it's, we talk about how slow it was back in the old days when they lived on the farm. But you know, if you've ever talked to a farmer, you know, they can tell you about how busy their day is. If you wanna, you wanna talk to them about a busy day and they get up before the sunrise to, to milk the cows and feed the chickens and feed the pigs and feed the horses and then you have to groom all the animals and then you have all the repair on the, on the farm and then you've got your kids that are needing a little bit of attention and you got the fields that need to be taken care of and you know, if they wanted to stay overly busy in their nice, easy, old days life, <laughs> They could be busier than we necessarily can be in our own day. Okay, nothing new under the sun. Pornography is not new. The way it's delivered is somewhat new. It's easier to get to it in this days than, it, than in many days in the past. But if you lived in Rome or Greece, uh, the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, pornography was everywhere. It was not, it was not that big a deal. It was live. It was, but they also had the pictures and the carvings and the statutes and, you know, it, it, it was, well, it wasn't even art in most cases. It was bad. Okay. It, you know, so yes, we have little new ways of delivering, but it's just as bad as it's always been in certain periods of time. And it's ebbed and flowed back and forth. There's nothing new under the sun. Politicians have been corrupt, always. It always is the way politicians are. 
all the way back through, you can look at the look at this. Uh, you know, whatever you can think of, it's always existed. You know, yes, we have certain different technologies now that they didn't have, but as far as the problems and the way of life, nothing is new. And there's always been this battle between religion and the world or things and, and not having things. I mean, there's all these activities that have always been the problem. Why? Because people have been the same all through history. And we talked about it Sunday. Adam and Eve played the blame game when they were, you know, they hadn't even had an example of it before, you know, they didn't, they, and they're already blaming each other and God and, uh, and Satan and, I and. I never thought of that way, but when you thought, really pointed out, and it's so crazy. So. First person on the earth, Satan. <laughs> blamed others. Yeah, like the perfect environment. They're in a perfect environment. And they, still they, failed. Still failed, yeah. Yep. So, but it says, the wise shall shine. We know people who give good advice. We all do. You know, we all know who you want to go to. If you need advice, you know certain people to go to, and you know who not to go to. Why? Because good people who give good, godly advice really do shine forth. You know, and it's not them necessarily shining. It's because they're giving the right advice. <laughs> they're going to the Bible and saying, here's what God says. And we apply what God says, and it's successful. Now, we can all go to the Bible and find our own answers if we're trained how to do it, but it, sometimes when you're in the middle of a, of a problem, it's hard to see an answer, and we all know that that's true. Uh, it's hard to see the trees because, uh, forest because of the tree that you're standing in front of, and all you see is one big, you know, one, one bark of a tree, and you're going, wow, you know, <laughs> and if that's all you're looking at, and usually that's the problem when we get into a problem, we're standing right in front of the tree and can't see the rest of the forest because all we're looking at is this tree right dead in front of us. And if we just turned our head, we'd see things other than the problem. And we do the same thing in our life. We get a problem and we just stare at that problem. And sometimes we just need somebody to help us. Hey, take three steps, take three steps backwards and there's a, you can walk around the problem. It's not that, it's not that big if you're not two inches away from it. Uh, so the wise will shine as a firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever. There's several verses that talk about soul winning. One of them is in Proverbs 11:30 that says, "He that winneth souls is wise." All right, and uh, Jude 23, James 5:20, 1 Corinthians 19:19 19, 19 and 20 all talk about the soul winner, the one that brings people to God. Very important for us. Do we share the gospel of Christ trying to bring people to him? That's our job. As Christians, that is our job. Now, I've met many people that, you know, they somehow think their job is to invite them to church. Well, that's a good thing to do, but let's start also telling them about Jesus. Because Many people aren't going to come into the church until they are saved. There are many people that look inside a church, and even though they, they may not even believe in God, they don't think, but yet church to them is an intimidating place. And I've seen people who tell me they don't believe in God, but they're also afraid to come into a church. And I'm going, well, if you don't believe that there's a God in the church, what difference does it make? 
it's just a building if you don't believe that God is present. Uh, now, if you believe in a God and you're afraid of the God, then I can understand them not wanting to come to church <laughs> because that is, quote unquote, the place that God is. But you know, we bring God into every situation that we have because he dwells inside us. We as Christians bring God into every place that we are at. So when we're talking to somebody, they're right in front of the presence of God right then. Not us, God in us. <laughs> Make sure we understand that. We're not, I'm not saying that we're God, but God is in us and we're bringing him in to each situation that we bring and he's desiring that we show the gospel to people because that is what he told us to do. Go and make disciples. Well, the first step in making a disciple is bringing them to Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And this is something that's important for us. We've, they've got to be brought to Jesus. Peter was called by Jesus and he says, I will make you a fisher of men. I'm going to teach you to, to bring people in. And we've shared the gospel. The gospel message is really easy. We are all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. All right, Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And as Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ you shall, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, and with the mouth man gives confession. But the gospel message, we are sinners, we deserve punishment, Christ died for us, and all we've got to do is accept that gift. Very simple. And then we can start sharing what, what has God done in my life. When I became a Christian, God changed me. He took a temper away from me. He gave me a love for people. It took a long time for that love to really develop, but he gave me a love for people and took away the hatred and anger that I had for people. And I was able to share with others. And I had an excitement to share with others and really invite people. Now, when I was 10 years old and got saved and I didn't know what I had really, I didn't know how to lead people to Christ. I was telling everybody they needed to become a Christian. They go, how do you do that? I go, I don't know. Come on the church bus with me Sunday. Poor driver pulled up with the church bus and he had almost a bus loaded at, my, at our stop alone. <laughs> we want to be able to share that gospel. And again, we've shared with you, when people ask a question you don't know, that's a pretty good thing to happen to you because you say, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to go get the answer. Can we meet tomorrow or next week or whatever it might be? But we need to open our mouths and share. Because we can't make disciples until we bring them to Christ. And then we get to make, make, help make them disciples. How? We start having Bible study with them on our own or we get them into church to have Bible study so they can learn from the church. But, you know, we can all teach whatever it is we do know. If you start teaching somebody, you know more than that person does to begin with because they don't know anything or very little. So you already know more than they do. You are the expert with the person who doesn't know anything and is just starting their walk with Christ. Now, if you're not careful and, and keep growing and stay ahead of them, they might catch up with you and bypass you. But, but initially, you can disciple them because you know how to have a walk with God. You know how to get into the Bible and read. You can share what you learn. But that's a great period. That's a great thing, too. We all need people that we can spend time talking with the Bible about. And when God shows you something in the scriptures or gives you a great 
blessing, share it with people. This is a great way to build faith in others and your own faith because you get to tell people what God has done. I love what God does for me. I love the way he gives me little blessings here and there. And sometimes they're, they're pretty silly little blessings that you don't really understand, but you know, they're still a blessing. And, they, and you never know what little thing that you share with somebody might really touch somebody's life. It is amazing to me sometimes the, how people will be blessed and you don't even know you're blessing them. You're just living your life, you're being yourself. You, you say something and they go, wow, that's really interesting. I never even thought about that. And this is something that we keep, need to keep remembering. As we grow in Christ, certain things in our life are going to seem like very small things to us, but they may touch somebody in a very powerful way. This is something that happens when you're just living your life. As Sharon was saying, you know, needing to find something and just praying real quick, God, I need to find this, and there it is. This is an important aspect of our life. We do just little things that we learn, and they become powerful to us, and they become almost normal to us because we've grown and we're looking for something bigger, but other people are looking at you and saying, wow, how can you be so calm? How can you have so much peace? How can, how can you, you know, and this has happened to me many times, and I've shared this, you know, many times when I've gone through trials and, tr and hard times, people look at me going, how can you stay so calm? Well, because Jesus is in my heart and I know that he's in charge. When problems hit me, it's not usually a problem to me because I just say, okay, God, you've got a reason for this and I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait for you to show me. Now, I have many other problems in my, in my life, okay? But when stress hits me, I don't get all worried and concerned about those things in general. And when I feel myself getting worried, I'm going, okay, God, you've got a reason, you know, take this away because I don't need it. And I focus back on him. Now, I have plenty of other sins in our areas of my life, but, you know, each one of us have strengths and weaknesses, and people are going to look at us in our strength, and we don't think much about our strengths usually. It's just something, things come along, and I just respond in, that, in my strength, and it's not that big a deal. And people are looking at you like, wow, that didn't, that didn't phase you at all. You know, of course, then they look at you, and they, something where they're strong, and they watch you just fall apart, and then if they're not careful, they judge you in that area. But we need to be careful with people because God is working with each one of us at a different pace, at a different speed. Where I am strong, somebody else may be weak. And this is the whole purpose of the body of Christ to come together. And where I'm weak, somebody else is hopefully strong in my, in my circle of friends that can help me and say, you know, hey, this is going to be okay. When I, I've got a couple friends who are, are desperate warriors about everything, and I keep trying to encourage them. God has a plan. You don't need to be worrying about this. He's in control. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to stop worrying because that's a weakness in their life, but I'm trying to bring them into a place where God is there. He's got a plan. And we need those people that come into our life in our weak areas and say, here's some strength. Well, whether it's, I use worry because that's one that I have been dealing with people for, but you know, when there's a weakness in your life, you need people to come up and say, this is God's, God's got it. Because the answer really is, no matter where you're weak, God has a plan for your life. No matter where you're weak, no matter what your issue is, God has a plan. And it's wonderful that he has a plan. I love that he has an individualized plan for every single person on this world. 
I couldn't manage to make that many individual plans, but God can. God can make an individual plan for every single person in this world, and he has. Come to think of it, he made it before they were even born. In Jeremiah, he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to bless. And he made these plans before we were born. He knew us in our mother's womb. So he knew that when, you were, when I was born, all the trials that I went through before I really focused on him. And then it took this long. And he knows that while she's going to, you know, wake up, you know. And that's what is so amazing. Why did he know that? In reality, he knows it because he's outside of time and he stands in all of time at the same moment. So before you were born, he's already standing at the day you die and knows everything you're going to do and everything that's going to happen to you. He already knows everything about this world. Remember, we've talked about because he's outside of time, he's with Adam and Eve right now in the garden. He's also at the Millennial Kingdom and he's, now, and he's also right here with us. Nothing surprises him. Why? Because it's already, from his perspective, it's already happened. It's just like watching a movie that you've seen before or reading a book, a suspense book or a mystery book that you've read before. You've seen it now, you know the answers, and you can start. And it's amazing when you reread these books or rewatch these movies how you see little details that, that you didn't catch before because now you know how the movie ended and go, oh yes, that was, they did this because of this. And well, that is how God looks at us when he looks at our life. He already knows all the pieces and all the re reactions that we're going to do. And he also knows that if he tweaks one spot in our life, he can change, he can change something and knows whether it should be changed or not. And this gets you into a whole other realm of, it's something that's very important, especially if you're really going to care for people, you need to be listening to what they say without having to think about how, because nine times out of 10, when they get the first sentence out of their mouth, we're thinking about how we're answering that, that sentence, and there are three or four sentences down the road that we haven't heard, and maybe they have already come up with the right answer or don't, don't even want an answer, and we're sitting there figuring out how to answer, so yeah. All right, verse 4, but you, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. Even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Daniel had this vision of the end days, and God told him to shut the book and put a seal on it, because it wasn't the time. It wasn't the time for that to happen. And... His book was shut, and when we get to the book of Revelation, John was told, print these words and get them out there. Uh, tell everybody what you have saw. Daniel, we don't know everything that Daniel saw because God told him to seal it. Seal it up. It's not, it's not time for it to be known. And because, again, we go back to what was, he, what was he preparing for? He was preparing the people for going back to Israel. Not to be looking some thousands of years down the road where they were going to be rejudged again. All right? Daniel has this time of sadness being applied to his life, and he put a seal on it. That, remember, that was the wax on it and imprinted with a ring that says, and what that seal said is the contents of this envelope or, or paper is verified as true. We do the same thing with an envelope. If you get an envelope, for a letter from somebody or a bill from somebody that's not sealed, 
your first thought is, who's been in my mail? <laughs> okay, and has it been read, altered, or changed? You know, and, and changed. Your, your, those are our thoughts. Well, it was the same thing back in that day. If the seal was broken, it's like, who's been into my mail? And Daniel was told to seal it till the time of the end. He said, many shall run to and fro. And this running is to run quickly back and forth. You know, it's kind of amazing in our day how many people are running around like chicken with their, chickens with their heads cut off trying to do stuff. Just running around, you know, doing stuff. You know, not even what God wants them to do, just rushing around, rushing around. It's not new. <laughs> but it does seem to be more intense today than it has been in past days. Multiple way street. I mean, you think about this. How small has the world gotten in our generation? I remember when just making a long distance phone call was a big deal. It was expensive. It was to make these calls. And you just didn't get on the phone and call another town, country, or, or you know, another, another state. It just really wasn't what you did. Now, we just pick up our phones and we, don't, we really don't care where in the world they are. It's not a big deal to us to make a phone call. And it's, it's relatively cheap even to make international calls in, this, in our day and age. And you think about how small the world has become as far as just traveling. You think back, how long, it wasn't that long ago. The early 1900s, the late 1800s. I make the trip from Kingman to Chloride four times a week. You can do that you know, if you really have been forgetful, forgetful and have to go back and forth a lot. It wasn't so long ago that a trip to Chloride from, from Kingman was an all-day all event. The 30-mile trip from my house to here would have been a very hard, hard day's ride on the horse. And that would be the day, okay? It would be an all-day event just to get here. And I do it, I come here in the morning, go back, go back in the afternoon. Even on the train in the early 1900s was a four-hour trip, according to the schedule that I saw in the newspaper. Four-hour trip to get here by train. So yes, you could get here and go back on the same day, but you probably wouldn't after it took you four hours to get here. The pilgrims, when they came here, were on a, on a three to six month boat ride to cross the Atlantic. Now we can cross the Atlantic in our ships in days, or you can get on an airplane and cross it. If you want to get on the Concorde, you can do it in three hours. Otherwise, you take six, hour, you know, six hours to cross the Atlantic, you know, something that took, used to take months. This is how small the world has gotten for us. And it's been basically in our life, just in our lifetime. We think about how small the world has gotten in our lifetime. To and fro, back and forth, you know, speed. I, I remember the first time I used the internet in the 80s and I was communicating with somebody in, in Poland. And it was like just messages bouncing back and forth, you know, in, in seconds. It's like, wow, I'm talking to somebody thousands of miles away this fast. And in, in this case, it wasn't costing me anything. It was by the internet, by email. We think about this, how long, and as you said, the Pony Express in the 1800s. That was considered fast to get a letter across the states in two weeks. 
and now we get the we can actually physically send a letter within a, within a 24 to 48 hours. You know, if you if you want to order some you want to order something, it can be delivered the next day if you order order it early enough. This is how small and how fast things. And then we see how knowledge is increasing. Intelligence isn't really increasing that much, but the knowledge is. You want to look something up and you get on the internet and you can find out more than you want to know and but the problem is you don't know whether it's even true what you're reading because everything that's on the internet is not true everything that's in a book that you can get is not necessarily true but all of this stuff that we have that's going on knowledge shall increase how much knowledge has increased wisdom has not increased matter of fact it seems like wisdom and common sense is going out the window as knowledge increases, as people get smarter and smarter with more, more information, they're losing wisdom. All right, we're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We ask that you help us to follow you and to share you with others. Give us wisdom. Help us to get into your word and to study more and more and get wisdom because you are wisdom. And help us to see what you would have us to see. Help us to be wise with understanding. Help us be able to disciple others. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.